You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, our guest hosts, Abigail Laura and Kelly Rojo Reyes, will be talking to former Tolson and friend of the podcast, Jose Emmanuel Vega. And they're going to be talking about the intersectionality in the Latinx and LGBTQ communities. Abby and Kelly both identify within the Latinx community. So, you know, they really see the prominence of the so-called machismo culture, as well as other cultural stigmas and how it hinders the advancement of the LGBTQ plus community. In addition to being our fabulous guest hosts today, Abby and Kelly are also Bank of America student leaders, spending the summer working for Mental Health Association Oklahoma. And before we get to their amazing interview. We, we actually just completed it. And I think all three of us were blown away about how well it went. But I want to point out that for the past several years, Bank of America has selected four Tulsa and Oklahoma City High School students to take part in their student leaders program. This year, the program is focused on civic engagement, mentorship, leadership skills, and building financial know-how. As a part of Bank of America's commitment to responsible growth, they are helping connect a diverse group of individuals to jobs through a number of partnerships and programs, including a focus on early employment for youth and young adults. And they're doing this because Bank of America recognizes that early employment leads to success later in life. And so everyone here at the association feels so extremely grateful to have had the opportunity and the honor to get to know and work alongside this year's group of student leaders. You know, during these past weeks, the student leaders have been introduced into the nonprofit and mental health field. And to do that, they have shadowed a variety of departments within the association and have been working on special projects like, oh, I don't know, this very podcast. So with all that being said, I want to welcome Abby and Kelly to the podcast. All right. So Abby and Kelly, can you, first of all, introduce yourselves Yeah, so hello everyone. My name is Kelly Rojo Reyes. I am one of the Oklahoma City interns and I will actually be an incoming freshman at Washington University in St. Louis where I plan to major in um, global studies as well as sociology. And some of my interests revolve around social justice, immigrant and refugee rights and mental health. And so whenever I found out that I would be interning at Mental Health Association Oklahoma, I was very excited. And so Abby, tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Abigail Lara. I'm a rising senior at Booger T. Washington High School this year, and I'm an intern from Tulsa. I plan to go into the medical slash social work field. Working with the association has gotten me to love social work. So now I'm trying to see what I can do with both of those passions that I have. Very cool. All right. And so I want them to share just a few like the most impactful thing that maybe they've learned so far this summer at the association. And Kelly, we'll start with you. Yeah, so honestly, working with the association has been such an amazing experience, not only because I've been able to learn so much, but also like being able to network with the amazing staff that we have. It truly is so amazing to see how passionate every single staff member is about their job and also seeing the change that they're able to make. And it's also has been really nice to be a part of that change. And so I think one of the most impactful experiences I had was working with the Oklahoma City Street Outreach and, you know, going 
out into the community and finding people who are experiencing homelessness and being able to give them like packaged lunches and even like, you know, other different things like socks, water, everything like that. And working with the Mental Health Association, I've really been able to see also how important addressing homelessness is in the community and being able to like break that stigma of homelessness. And so I like working with the association has honestly like sparked so many different interests. And so I do hope to continue working and advocating for those who are experiencing homelessness. Abby? Yeah, so working with the Mental Health Association has brought lots of awareness more with me within our homeless community. I wasn't aware of how intense this problem was in Oklahoma or in Tulsa in my city. So working with Mental Association has really opened my eyes and has really made me passionate about helping these communities as well as mental health. So I am not was not very educated about mental health until I started working uh, with Mental Association. Now I know that it's super important and that we need to bring more awareness to it and that we need to get more educated uh, over it and about it in our school systems and our com communities. I had the honor of working with the student leaders this summer and I went to them and I said, I want you guys to do some awesome podcasts for me to help educate the community. And I want you to decide what you want to do. I'm not, you know, totally hands off, man. I'm here if you have questions, but go for it. And so, you know, I was so excited when Abby and Kelly came up with this topic, but, you know, I really want to know why Abby and Kelly wanted to address this specific topic and why they wanted to talk to Jose. We'll start with Abby. Yeah, so I am part of the Latinx community, so I did grow up in that kind of restricted mindset and kind of closed off mindset and all the stigma, cultural stigmas that we have and traditions and everything. So I just really wanted to get educated. I wanted to bring more awareness to this problem that we had within our community, and I wanted to bring awareness to our machismo culture that we call it, that we have in our community that we still see today. I still see today within my family, within my friends' families that are Latinx as well. So, and hearing from Jose was so inspirational and it was so touching to learn more about his story and what he went through regards to his mental health and how he came out to his family. I, I really admire him. All right. So Kelly, same question to you. Just, you know, why you wanted to do this podcast with Jose? Yeah. So as Abby said, like, I also identify in the Latinx community and actually my parents are both immigrants from Mexico. And, you know, I've visited their hometown a lot and it's just a small little rural village in Mexico. And so there I really was able to see the lack of education that occurs in these uh, small villages. And so I know that a lot of Latinx like my family members, friends, everything like that. Like sometimes we fail to see the struggles that the LGBTQ plus community faces, especially due to the lack of education. And so it was actually, well, when we were coming up with our ideas, it was actually last month, Pride Month. And so me and Abby were like, hey, like it would be an awesome idea to like be able to highlight Lion X LGBTQ plus resilience. And so when Matt introduced us to so Jose, we were like very thankful to be able to have that experience and listening to everything that Jose 
Jose had to say and, and how resilient he is, it honestly like pushed me forward to want to continue teaching family members who maybe like also like many of my family, family members don't necessarily speak English or are very educated about these topics. And so, you know, after hearing this podcast, like I want to continue to educate my family members, but also myself on struggles that occur within these communities. Okay, the mental health download starts now. All right, so today we'll be talking to Jose Manuel Vega regarding the intersectionality in Latinx and LGBTQ plus communities. As me and Kelly both identify within the Latinx community, we see the prominence of the so-called machismo culture, as well as other cultural stigmas and how it hinders the advancement of the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Jose, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. I'm Jose Manuel Vega, and my pronouns are he, him, his, or they, them, theirs. I am Mexican-American. I'm a son of immigrants uh, who migrated here from Mexico, I would say I'm second generation. First generation is my family who migrated and were able to establish a new life here. And I was able, I had the privilege of being born and raised in Oklahoma. I am the first member in my family to come out as gay and to move away from Oklahoma. I live in California at the time, um, still in the LGBTQ work. I was deputy director of Oklahomans for Equality for eight years. And now I have the privilege to be the director of health services for the Sacramento LGBTQ Community Center. Awesome, we are so happy to have you. So as we know, the machismo culture or toxic masculinity is still present in Latinx societal norms. How did this affect you coming out to your family? Yeah, so in the Hispanic community, we still have the machismo of men are the household providers and do all of the hard work and bring the money home and women have to cook and clean. So there, there's this very distinct line of men and women, feminine and masculine um, roles. So, so when I came out, it was a shock to my, to my family. It, what, they were quite upset. I was the first family member to come out as gay. I came out at uh, 15. Also, it, it, in, our, in our culture, religion runs heavily. So the machismo is also stemmed from religion where only marriage can happen between a man and a woman. Only family is built between a man and a woman. So these, these societal and cultural ideologies are so embedded in our community, in our, in our families. And when somebody comes out or somebody doesn't fit those norms, fear is infiltrated in the family. And everybody's afraid of what's going to happen. What is the what is the community going to say? What is the rest of the family going to think? Where the mother and father fail, they start thinking that they failed, that it's their fault. So all of these things happen when somebody comes out in the Latinx community. So it unfortunately, it is something that we still need to work on. And it has to do a lot with education. So somebody in the Latinx community, an aunt, an uncle, a tia, hermano, somebody you know and love is probably LGBTQ and they're just too afraid to say anything. So be an ally and even more be an accomplice. Allies are somebody who, who knows what they're, who knows the system, who understands it. But an accomplice is somebody who helps 
maneuver that and helps make room for those who aren't able to, who don't have the privilege to either uh, speak up or have a seat at the table. So, so yes, it is hard. The machismo is very, very well and alive in the Latinx community, in all Central America, all Latin America. And I hope that's something we can help eliminate. And we are, we're seeing it little by little. You know, Mexico, the country Mexico, they had same-sex marriage before the United States had same-sex marriage. So it, there, there is some advancements. There's still, there's some, act, there's lots of activism in our community, a lot of movers and shakers. But yes, it's sad to know how homophobia has impacted and affected our young LGBTQ Latinx youth. Wow, Jose, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I love the way that you define like an ally and accomplished. I love that so much. So since you were so young, how was your mental health affected whenever you did come out to your family? Yeah, when I came out, I my mental health went just down the drain. I felt alone. I felt like a sense of lack of importance. I wasn't important. Nobody cared about me. The people that are my family, the people who who saw me grow, didn't even care just because of who I was and who I loved and a feeling of emptiness. But I was in, I was in a part of my life where I couldn't and I wouldn't, and I had to be resilient. And I had to say, put those feelings aside for now, store them deep inside because your survivor instincts kicked in. I needed to find shelter. I needed to find food. I needed to find healthcare. I needed to find a system and establish a connection of security as 15 year old of what were gonna, what were my next steps? I learned so much about how the systems work and I was able to maneuver through them. I was very fortunate enough to find individuals, adults who um, guided me, took me under their wing and show me the right direction on what to do, how to do it. And, and answered all of my questions as I was growing. I think most of my mental health success during that time, I would credit it to my high school counselor. That's why I'm a big advocate for high school counselors in our education system, especially even starting at the youngest level, just because my high school counselor helped me through so much in my mental health as a homeless youth. But I also remember going to her office when I needed she had a lot of paperwork to do, a lot of other administrative assistant work, but she would put those things aside and give me the floor and just listen to me, give me advice, guide me educational wise in the right direction. So when I needed mental health to talk to a therapist, to talk to somebody, my high school counselor saved me a lot. Once growing up into college, I was able to finally apply for work, full-time positions and apply for some health insurance. And with health insurance, I was able to find another mental health therapist or have a friend who was a mental health therapist. But since that time, I've been going through mental health therapists, trying to find a sense of relief and understanding what I went through. And I think it helped me a lot. And I know it helped me a lot because knowing where I stand now and looking back to everything I went through, I am very fortunate that I had a good support system. I was very resilient and, and self-strength inside. I don't know where it came from, but I feel survival skills had to do a lot with it, that I 
didn't fall into any substance abuse, any harm, self-harm decisions. So there were some breakdowns, but all of them were able to be manageable in my perspective and the community and in professionals that I was involved with. So I know it's hard coming out. We come out in every way, coming out, living with a disability, coming out as your immigrant status, coming out as your sexual orientation and gender identity. So we're always coming out on something. But what I do recommend individuals, either whatever way you're coming out, come out when you're ready and come out to those who you feel should get secure support system. There may be times where we feel that, oh, I think I can trust this person. I'm going to come out in whatever way you come out. But then you receive the negativity. Don't let that close the door on somebody else that you may be able to come out. Um, that creates trauma where I came out to this friend as gay. They didn't accept me. And I was thinking that they would because throughout our friendship and throughout our conversations, they were giving me signals of acceptance. But when I came out, it turned out they weren't as accepting. They were accepting to LGBT community as an at arm's length, but not being close friends. And that quite kind of hurt me. And that put me back in the closet as well as employers. When I worked in Oklahoma before employment rights were are, are being activated and implemented, I was let go for because my employer found out I was gay. So all of those things put us back in the closet. What I recommend is don't let those put you back in. Let those empower you. Let those negative experiences help you understand that, you know what, not the whole world is like that. Just because one person rejected me or this employer fired me, or this friend didn't want to be my friend because I've, I'm gay or trans or living with a disability or your immigration status, whatever it is, don't, don't let that one person taint the rest of your friendships and possibilities that you may have. You mentioned that at a very young age, you experienced homelessness. Can you tell us a little bit about how easy it was or how difficult it was to access resources for that? Yeah, so living in Oklahoma, there's not many re LGBTQ resources. Now and today, it's amazing how there are two main LGBTQ organizations in the state of Oklahoma, Oklahomans for Equality in Tulsa and Freedom Oklahoma in Oklahoma City and Free Mom Hugs. And they, we, I'm see, we're seeing more. So back when I was in high school, 2009 and 2010, there wasn't many resources and I wasn't aware of many either. There was a lack of knowledge there was a lack of where to access resources without triggering or triggering an adult that, oh, hold on, you're, what's going on? We want to be involved. Most youth who are going through situations, they want to take things on their own, do their own research and find out what are their stuff? What are they want? What are their decisions? So some, that is something that I had to struggle when I was in high school. I was very fearful of adults because now on my own, living as a youth, finding my source of food, which was predominantly one meal a day, and that was the high school cafeteria meal. And so trying to find food, trying to find shelter, trying to find places to get back, catch a ride to work and then to school and to wherever couch I'm surfing on. Also when school was calling because I needed to speak to my parents or needed forms signed. 
there was many obstacles that I had to face, but I knew that I wanted to be my own decision maker. I wanted to make my own decisions and I knew what was right for me and where I was going. I wanted to finish school. I wanted to go to college. I just wanted to be successful. I was eager to help the community and eager to help me and eager to, eager to learn. So when, when I was able to learn to provide the same knowledge I, I obtained, to other people who are less fortunate or less privileged than I am. So my entire year of sophomore year and summer school, I took as much knowledge as I could, found the resources, found once I overcame an obstacle, I was able to, okay, meet other individuals, meet community members, meet other leaders. My high school counselor helped me connect with so many people. So my senior year, I made it my mission to start a YouTube series and a television show where we had professionals come in and provide these resources and talk about these. So one, the first one was on teenage pregnancy. Now that's something I don't, I can't, I can't talk on, but many of my cousins, undocumented community, immigrant community, family, Latinx community, teenage pregnancy run high in those communities. And so when I came, when I came out and was kicked out my senior year, one of my cousins who was a teenage pregnancy case was also banned from the family and looked up, frowned upon. And so she housed me. She gave, she gave me some space in her apartment and I saw her first daughter grow up. And so my first, when I learned about her resources and stuff, that was my, that's what I, I did the first episode on teenage pregnancy. And we had two professionals come in, talk about how high numbers of teenage pregnancy are affected in Oklahoma, what resources are out there. We talked about WIC. We talked about, at that time, the Margaret Hudson program, which was for teenage pregnant mothers to still finish high school and learn how to nurture their child and everything. So that was the first talk. The second show was on drug and um, alcohol. The third one was on domestic violence and sexual assault, then college and scholarships. And throughout my life, whatever I was learning, whatever resources I was finding, I wanted to share it with the world and share it with more people in my youth, in my high school, in my generation. And so that show helped me as soon as I got information, learn from it, and then put it out there. And that's where my public service passion started. I knew the struggles I had to face as a young homeless youth, as a gay Latinx homeless youth, and I didn't want any other youth to go through it any go through it go through the same process. There was very few LGBTQ resources at that time, so I never talked about it. But that is why I'm so passionate about the work I do. Um, so passionate about helping inspire others. That yeah, these cards may be against us. But we are stronger than these cards. We're stronger than these systems. We're stronger than these stereotypes and these um, oppressions. Let's fate, let's show them that we are stronger as individuals. So it it was hard, but I was. I I credit all of it to the great support system of adults who helped me along the way, of individuals who who took the time to listen to me to hear my passion, to hear my story, and 
to provide me with the proper tools to continue helping those uh, the, the less fortunate. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Jose, for sharing about your experiences and also the adversities you've had to face. But overall, like it makes me so happy that you've overcame those obstacles and now you're using it as a form to help others. So as we know, you um, are currently living and working in Sacramento, California. So could you tell us a little bit about the work you do? And also maybe if you see a lack of resources in Oklahoma that maybe California offers and like what you would like to improve? Yeah, so... I oversee all the um, health aspect of LGBTQ plus in the community out here in Sacramento, California. And it's similar to the work that we do in Oklahoma. There's a high number of health disparities among the LGBTQ plus community. A lot of doctors who, oh, I don't know how to treat you as a gay man, or I don't know how to treat you as a transgender female. And we're like, you were human. You went to school to provide medical procedure, medical health care to a human being, male or female. So there's a lack of education, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding and terminology on how to address somebody by their proper pronouns or desired name. So when a trans folk comes in to see a doctor, they're trans female, and the documentation says, what is your legal name? Most of that is a dead name. And we get it, we have to say because of government, but adding preferred name or preferred pronoun just on the intake form, you have, doctors have opened up a, a sense of security. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, I feel seen. I feel heard. I think I can be as open as I can be with this physician. Also a lack of understanding on the HIV um, epidemic. Still that stereotype of only men only gay men have HIV. That's why the FDA still hasn't approved that gay men can donate blood. So first, it was no gay men. Anybody who had sex with a man who, who had sex with a man could not donate blood ever, unfortunately. And with such a need for blood in, the, in these communities, and then it, they minimize it to a year celibacy. Only men who have sex with other men had to remain celibate for a year because of, H because of the HIV. And that continues to stereotype gay men and continues to stereotype that HIV is only con contributed and also only, what's the word? Continues to stereotype that only gay men carry the virus. When we know that HIV is the human efficiency virus, human. So it affects straights, it affects bisexuals that have affects everybody who has any sex or, or drug use or pregnant mothers. So all of this. Now, right now, the FDA has the blood that people can donate, gay men can donate blood only if they've been celibate for three months. Still, this perpetuates the stereotypes as well as mental health therapists who don't know how to treat LGBTQ plus youth or LGBTQ plus patients and clients. There's a lack of knowledge in the healthcare that that's something that I'm passionate about, that I want to help educate. I want to provide as much resources as we can. And that's something I oversee out here in Sacramento, California, and something I help oversee in Oklahoma. The LGBTQ Center, the Oklahoma's for Equality, Dennis Arnold Equality Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, does so much health resources there. They started their PrEP program. They have a trans health uh, clinic. They do a lot of 
LGBTQ work and activism, education and so forth. So that's something that we still, we, I, I oversee here as well. We know that health and mental health um, st like stems from everywhere. So somebody who's undocumented will have mental health because they had to cross the border, had to, they're afraid of police officers, the discrimination, the lack of accessibility to be able to work and so forth. So that affects mental health, legal services, anybody who receives a legal letter or is getting sued or suffered a car accident and has to go through all these legal issues that suffers that causes mental health issues. Somebody who was discriminated or rejected mental health issues, uh, youth who was, who was homeless and kicked out. So that's something that we oversee here at the LGBT Center. The LGBT Center in Tulsa provides mental health services. They have some counselors as well as here. This is what I oversee as well at the Sacramento LGBT Center. We oversee some counselors now pro providing affordable or free mental health therapy sessions. Just finding a mental health therapist that is Latinx, that is a male, that is LGBTQ was hard for me. It's like a unicorn. And I totally get it to find somebody who is less fortunate than I am, language barrier, colorism, disability, anything. We want to find mental health therapists that resemble and look and look like us, sound like us, experience the same thing as us because they get us. Or somebody who who's very aware and is an accomplice and understands what we are going through. So I fully support anybody who wants to go to a mental health therapist and be a mental health therapist because the more we have people that look like us, sound like us, think like us, the better we will be able to support and help individuals living with these disparities and these disadvantages. So I oversee all the LGBTQ healthcare here in the Sacramento region and had the privilege to work alongside Alex Wade, the medical director at Oklahoma for Equality, to establish LGBTQ healthcare there as well. That's awesome. I know I've definitely learned so much from you already. I did not know a lot of what you've told us here today. And that's that's a big part of the reason why me and Kelly wanted to do this podcast and we wanted to talk to you because that's we wanted to learn and we wanted to get educated. And I know that's a big reason you said that, or that's a big factor that we need to do is educate our community about these things so we can further advance. So what other things do you think that we need to do as a community to where we can better support the LGBT and become accomplices, like you said, to the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, just being aware of your privileges. I know as an able-bodied individual, anywhere I go, I look look around and turn around. It's like, hmm, this isn't very wheelchair accessible, you know? And I have to check these privileges I have so I can help advance and be an accomplice for individuals living with disabilities and who have who are wheelchair bound to be able to join me in activities and events. I love this saying that I learned. Diversity is inviting somebody to the dance. Inclusion is inviting them to dance. And so when I join a board, a committee, or I'm asked to be part of an event or something, I take everything into account. Okay, we're doing this. How, how are we reaching those who um, aren't able to speak English? because I know that's one of my privileges. I'm able to understand, speak, and write English, the English language. But if we're gonna give information, we're gonna give, we're gonna do programming, we're gonna do resources, how are we providing it in other languages? 
because we know that the United States is a melting pot of beautiful different cultures who are wanting to achieve a dream and succeed. So let's give everybody the same opportunity. I also use my privilege as a cisgender man. I understand that there are systems in place that that's a privilege and it advances me in a way. So what I do is, okay, what is the equal pay for women? What, how can we elevate that? Let's bring that to the table. How are we elevating our women and give them high roles, give them director roles. Let's elevate them. As a gay man, what am I doing for all the other LG, not LBTQIA plus community? What am I doing for them? I'm also taking that into account in every aspect that of my life. You know, how does this affect the lesbian community? How does this affect the trans community? So every everything in my life, I always take into account those folks who are less fortunate than me because I have these privileges and I'm gonna use them for good. So that's what I tell everybody, use your privileges for good. I know we get a lot of guilt and sometimes I do fall in that place where I do apologize. I was unaware, I would do better. And that's something we're always learning. So, you know, you see something wrong or not inclusive, speak up. Sometimes we're afraid because, oh, everybody else is not doing it. I probably just won't, I'll stay quiet. No, no, no. Be the change. Be the accomplice. You're, you're aware, you're an ally, but staying quiet and because nobody else is saying anything, then mm, that's where we have, we're, we're failing as human beings, as being a humane individual. So that's why we got to be accomplices and say, hey, this isn't very trans inclusive, or this isn't very able-bodied inclusive, or this isn't uh, multilingual inclusive, all of this. So just understanding your privileges, knowing them, and what are you doing with them to better the community, to better the world that we live in, and then share that knowledge. Knowledge is key. So when you learn something, that's amazing that you've learned it, you've captured a skill, but share it with those who also want to learn. Because you, you had the privilege to go to college, to go to university, to graduate high school, to go to a certification class, a diploma class, a degree, whatever class you went, whatever skill you have. If somebody reaches out to you and says, I want to learn that, please make the time to teach somebody because they probably were less fortunate to go to college. So whenever anybody calls me or reaches out, hey, Jose, how can I start a prep program? Or how can I talk to my doctor about trans healthcare? How can I do this or do that? I will share it. I will tell you how I do it. And that one that inspires others to do more and continue on, and you light up that torch for them, that, that helps with people's mental health. Because when somebody puts a barrier and they know that you put a barrier for them to succeed, you're actually causing harm and you're causing mental health harm to them. Because again, we're, we're showing individuals, no, uh, the world is cruel. And so I, I hate it when that happens. And it's happened to me uh, where individuals have blocked me from succeeding or, or, or knowledge that, mm, you know what? I won't be like that. I'm gonna do the opposite. And so I encourage any for everybody to do the opposite, do better, do more, do what you can and at the speed that you want. Your mental health is key. So don't push yourself. Don't uh, remember to do self-care. And when you're ready to pick up that torch, it's just waiting right there and continue carrying it on. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Like hearing your story, like it's just so amazing how resilient you are and how resilient our communities are. But on that note of self-care, like 
there's always that like oxygen mask analogy that like before you can help others, you must like help yourself first. And so, you know, I'd like to know what were some things that you've had to learn and unlearn in your life? And also what are some like advice that you'd give to others to live authentically in regards to mental health as well? Yes, I've had to learn to to be patient with myself. As a young youth, homeless and going through what I had to go through and overcome, I always was in a rush to, okay, what's the next thing? Got to keep my mind busy. Um, I don't want to think about the issues that I'm going through or um, the self-harm or the lack of, or the feeling of loneliness, the feeling nobody cares about me. All of these feelings, I had to be patient with myself and understand it's okay, Jose. Take a breather, one step at a time. What is priority right now? Food, okay? Let's just focus on finding food right now. Okay, what's the next priority? It's almost nighttime. Who am I staying with? Where am I going? Work, okay? Just remember, you have some. You have a job. Let's just do the work. I have to, be, I have to continuously be patient with myself. And I'm still learning that today. I'm always in a rush of like, okay, next thing, I'm ready. Let's keep my mind running. But my mind comes constantly runs and my body gets tired. And that's just me who's gonna get burned out. So I encourage folks to take it easy, take breaks when you need them, check out when you need to check out. I know that something I, I do let folks know, I had to grow up fast. I had, as a young homeless youth, I had to grow up fast. I had to focus on school, get that done. What's the next, focus on college, get that done, work, because I have to pay bills, I have to, I have to grow up really quick. So what I do tell individuals, it's okay to grow up at the speed that you need to grow up, but also to remember that you're at, an, you're at a certain age and you should still experience what those certain age experience. I've heard a lot of LGBTQ youth who, who aren't able to go to prom or didn't go to prom because they're LGBTQ or they, they, they're trans and they wanted to go in their suit or a dress and their parents wouldn't let them and how that affected them. So be patient and just say, there's always a second chance. And for an example for that, that's why one of the major events that I was gladly hosting at the LGBTQ center in Tulsa, one of my major events was second chance prom because as an LGBTQ youth, homeless youth, I didn't go to my prom. I focused on working. It was either going to prom and enjoying my youthness or go to work because I know I had bills to pay at 16. And I chose bills, I survived. So I get it. For those who, when we have to choose something, we choose for surviving, but but just keep that, don't, don't let that hope die. You know, I could have given up and say, oh, I'm never ever gonna experience prom ever again because I didn't go to that one that's fine. I said, there'll be another chance. And I'm so so glad to share that experience with others. So that was one experience of mine. But whatever you're going through, enjoy your youthness, enjoy your young adultness, enjoy your teenage years, but still always make sure that you're safe. Make sure that um, you have a good support system. You have at least one person you can count on when things have turned terrible, mentally, physically, or emotionally. Also, there's so many resources out there. There's 
thousands of 1-800 numbers that can help you that are standby 24 seven. There, there's more resources now in 2021. Still a lot of work to do, do, but a lot of amazing individuals doing the work and willing to help. So take it easy, one step at a time. And another thing I started to learn at age 28 is saying no. You know, I, I wanna help so many people and I wanna do so much. But again, self-care, take it easy, one thing at a time that I've had to learn to say, I apologize, I can't at this time, but I will always refer you to somebody else who could probably do it. And that's something that we have to do. We can't carry the torch at this time, but let me pass it on to somebody that's carrying it right now that could probably help you. Jose, you're, you are outstanding. <laughs> you really are. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I admire you so much already, just how brave you are and how determined you were to keep going and to figure it out and to, like you said, growing that fast. I know that was not easy. And I know that a lot of people and a lot of youth are going to admire you as well. And this is going to be a push in their life to keep going. And like you said, don't give up, keep going and to I guess, enjoy their youth as well. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. This has been super educational and has brought so much awareness in how to improve our community and what needs to be done and what has already been done. And are there any last words that you'd like to say? Yes. Love yourself. Love yourself because like RuPaul says, how the hell is anybody else going to love you? How, no, love yourself. How the hell do you expect somebody to love you? Something like that. I just love his saying. If you watch RuPaul Drag Race, yes. Those are people who finally we are seeing in, in media representation. A Black man, a queer Black man who dresses up as women in impersonations. We're seeing more shows. If you haven't seen the show Pose, also watch that. Generation on HBO Max. That, that show highlights right now what youth are what queer youth are going through in this century so that's a great show there's a lot of lgbtq shows coming to life on on media that i i love it finally we're seeing it on mainstream so all these lgbtq youth listening to us be yourself love yourself look at the, the world's watching us and they're they're loving it <laughs>